and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flower Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. To learn more about who we are, follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore, and check out our website at chestnutmountain.org. We also want to let you know that we have video versions of these episodes located right now on our YouTube channel for you to go check out and watch. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message as we continue our reset series in the book of Haggai. Let's take a listen. Have you ever experienced um, when Creator God exceeds your expectations? When He goes above and beyond anything that you probably ever kind of conjured up in your mind or thought that He was going to do? Well, needless to say, today closes one of those seasons in my life. And what I mean by that is about two to two and a half months ago when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told us to look at the book of Haggai to start the new year, I thought, God, you gotta be kidding me. What in the world are you gonna do with this little two chapter book? And I think what this little two chapter book has helped us all understand is that Dynamite still comes in small packages because it has exploded with life. It has exploded in my own personal life. I've seen it explode in your life as a church family. And here's why I know that because it's like, oh, especially the last three to four weeks, there has begun a shift in here. And what I mean by that is there has another level of authentic worship has taken place. And it has nothing to do with the worship band. It has nothing to do with my fine spoken words because they don't exist in me. I got an amen, (laughs) of course. But what it is, is it's the living word of God coming to life. There's nothing that a band can do to bring that. There's nothing that I can do that. But when we open this sword, it promises that it cuts coming and going. And what we're seeing this morning is we're seeing a lot of open wounds where people are free to be who they are because God has spoken through this powerful word and it has exploded to life in all of our lives. And so what I wanna do, there's gonna be two different things that I'm gonna ask, well, maybe three, that stretch us all. Because you know, in a, in a church setting, in a room full of people, you know, we don't like silence. You know, we always feel like we have to be talking because it just gets awkward when it's quiet. Well, we're about to have a moment of awkwardness because what I want you to do especially if you've been here for the last four to six weeks or been watching online, what I want you to do is we're gonna take about 30 seconds. And what I want you to do is I want you to write it down. I want you to put it in the notes. I want you to write it on your arm. I don't care. But I want you to simply write down in five words what the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to you over the last four to six weeks as we have been in this book. Because here's the five words that God laid on my heart that what this book has taught me, what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me. And here's my five words. It's not about me. It's not about 
me. It is not about me. Katie's over there. She's a teacher. She that's four because that was a conjunction. See, I did it first service. It is not about me. And why is my wife the loudest laugh I hear over here? I expect an amen later, not a laugh. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. You got that one out of the way. But mine were, it is not about me. And so I want you to take 30 seconds. This room is gonna be eerily quiet, but I want you to write down in five words what God has spoken to you over the last several weeks. Did y'all feel the awkwardness? Because I really do up here, like I'm ready to talk. It's too quiet for too long. Now what we're gonna do next is I really wrestle with this, but I wonder if there's somebody in the room that would, from your seat would share your five words out loud in front of your church family. Anybody? Oh, she got, well that don't count. Only five. I'm just kidding. What you got? He makes us holy, not happy. He, whoo, whoo, he makes us holy, not happy. Anybody else? I will change your heart. What's that? I will change your heart. I will change your heart. Anybody else? It is time to build. Whoo. It is time to build. One more. Trust in me, not in yourself. That's a personal note. I like that one. Here's what I want you to do. Maybe you didn't have the courage to share. Maybe you didn't have the boldness to stand. But what I want you to do is I want you to remember those five words that you just wrote down. And the reason that I want you to remember that is because you're gonna go through seasons where you need to be reminded of what the Holy Spirit of God spoke to you. You're gonna find yourself in a place of darkness, in a place of rejection, in a place of being alone. And what I want you to do is to remember what God spoke to you in this season. So put that one back in the back of your mind and just remember what God has been speaking to you over the last several weeks. You heard testimony just now of some of the stuff that we've been hearing from the word of God, but I think we can all agree that the last few weeks has not all been easy. It's not all been about making us feel good, holy, not happy. Because what we've been watching is we have seen conviction turned to comfort. We've been reminded of failures, but we've also been told of redemption. We've seen the mess ups, but then we've seen that he's cleaned up. We've seen fear turned into courage. And we've read and heard about those who are ready to give up, but then God tells them to get up. 
And so on the heels of that, this book is gonna close out with a bang because the message that the Holy Spirit of God has is for somebody here this morning as an individual, as a person, in the midst of the chaos, God wants to speak directly to your heart today. And the reason that I know that is because you're here. And so I want you to turn to Haggai chapter two. And we're just gonna be in four verses. The message is not gonna be very long, but it'll be very impactful if you will listen to what God is teaching all of us through this. Haggai chapter two, we're gonna read verses 20 through 23. We're gonna stop midway through verse 21 and you'll see why in just a moment. He says, then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. And I want us to stop right there. The reason that I want us to stop there is because it's very interesting what's taken place. If you remember all through this book, every time a word would come to Haggai and he would translate it to someone, it was always to a multitude of people. We know that it was to Joshua. We know that it was to Zerubbabel. We know that it was to the remnant of the people, which we know that was some exceeding 50,000 people. Then we know last week he was to address the priest. And so what we know about every time that Haggai would speak, he would speak to large crowds. It would be a message for many people. But what's interesting, two things here is the message that, Zer that Haggai has today in this writing was to one person, was to Zerubbabel. And so what we have to look into is, is why was that? And we're gonna unpack the why. But another thing that we understand and what we see is a lot of things that we read over. Remember a lot of times with those dates, the 24th day of the ninth month, we skim right over that. But if we don't take note of that, what we find out is this is the first time in this book that the Holy Spirit or, or that God speaks to Haggai twice in the same day. If you remember going back last week, we looked in verse 14. He was addressing the remnant of the people. He was addressing the large crowd. And we see what he said in verse 14. Then Haggai said, so is this people. And so is the nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. What they offer there is unclean. If you remember last week, as, as Haggai was speaking to the remnant of the people, what we found out and what we discovered is that their work to rebuild the temple was out of the wrong motives. They were working to rebuild the temple so that they could get from God. They weren't serving in a place of surrender to God, but they were doing it in order to get something from God. And that is how we talked about the fast last week, because yes, we didn't forget, today is the beginning of our 21 day fast. <laughs> Woohoo, liar. <laughs> but we talked about that. Be careful as we fast the next three weeks that we're not fasting in order to get something from God, but we're fasting so that God gets more of us. That is the whole reason we fight our flesh to surrender to him. And I am praying that over the next three weeks that we see God do things in our life 
not as a motive to fast, but as a result of the fast. We wanna be able to hear him speak clear. We want him to be able to show our direction clearer. But this goes back to last week. We saw that the reason they were rebuilding the temple, they had the wrong motives. And so now we look at verse 20. Why in the world did he just address one individual? Well, if you remember in the very beginning of this book, we found out that Zerubbabel was the governor of these people. He was the leader, if you would. And so as you research and you study, many scholars believe that Zerubbabel was very, very discouraged, that he felt like a failure because every time he turned around, it was like the team he was leading kept falling behind. They kept making mistakes. Everything kept being exposed of their sin, of what their true heart was about. And so many scholars believe that Zerubbabel was so discouraged because as a coach, he felt like he failed. If you've ever coached anything, you know that when your team loses, you're the one that carries the weight of that because you feel like as a coach, you let them down, you let your teammates down, you let the fans down, you let everybody down because of your failures. And so Zerubbabel was walking through a season where he failed as a leader and he was carrying the weight of that. And so we gotta ask the question, did he feel like giving up? Did he feel like throwing in the towel because that he had failed in his current circumstances in his current situations? But then we have to dig a little bit deeper and we find another possibility of why he was discouraged. You see, when we look back, we, we discovered this. Maybe he was not only discouraged by his present, but he was also discouraged potentially by his past. And the reason that we can say that, the reason that we can think about that is because he was the grandson of a king named Jehoiachin. Now, some of you are going, what the world does that mean? What we know about Jehoiachin is he was the king of Jerusalem right before they were taken into captivity into Babylon. And so here again, we have a king who's been given a platform for victory, but instead he failed as a leader. And so what we even know even more is this, this king was only 18 years old. He only held the office for three months. So you think about how quickly things fell apart. For this guy named Jehoiachin who had received the privilege of being king at 18 years old. So you've got to think, he was probably high on the hog. He was probably excited about this position that he had achieved. And then just some three months later, the very team that he led failed. And they were taken into captivity. And so we have to wonder, we have to think in our minds, was Zerubbabel fearful that he was living up to his grandfather's name? That he was walking in the same path that his grandfather walked in? That because his family had fallen apart, he too thought his would fall apart. He thought that his authority as a leader would be falling apart because of his grandfather's leadership fell apart. Could it be that he was saying, is this just history repeating itself? Because you know, all of us in this room, we've all experienced family failure. 
We've all experienced things in our past of our family that, that has fallen apart. You know, maybe your family fell victim to alcoholism. Maybe your family fell victim to drug abuse. Maybe your family fell victim to sexual abuse. Maybe your family fell victim to an unfaithful marriage. Or maybe your family fell victim to just family members who just quit. Maybe you know a family member that just got to the end of the road and said, I can't do it anymore. And they decided to take their own life. So we have to wonder, is this all the stuff that he was discouraged about? Because you know how the enemy works, right? When you go through, the, through seasons of discouragement, the enemy is going to remind you of every failure in your life. And when he can't get you there, then he's going to take you to the failures of your family's life. And he's gonna weight you down and he's gonna say, you you're gonna fail because they failed. And he knows how to kick you when you're down. And so look, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I've had such a heavy heart because I know there are so many people who come in here every single week that put on this face that you've got it together that you put on this face that life is good, but in the bottom of your heart, you are alone, you are discouraged, and you are ready to give up. And if that is you this morning, and if you walked in here and you think you've got everybody fooled, let me assure you, you don't have your creator fooled. He knows you're discouraged. He knows you're ready to give up. He knows you're ready to throw in the towel. And maybe you've even thought some thoughts this week that you never even thought were possible to go through your mind. And it is no accident that we're addressing, that we're talking about this depression, this discouragement on the heels of what's happened in our community in the last week and a half. There was two young teenagers from Flyer Branch High School that got there and said, I give up. And they decided to end it. And maybe that's you this morning. And if that is you, I want you to hear this this morning. God loves you. God is not finished with you. And the reason that I know that is because you're here today. God wanted you to hear this word today. God wanted you to hear that while he's the creator of the universe, he wants to meet you, the one, just like he did Zerubbabel. He wants to meet you in your darkness. He wants to meet you in your loneliness. And he wants you to hear him say, I love you. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you come in this morning and you're encouraged this week. Maybe it seems that everything's going great. And I praise God for that. 
But I also would bet that you know someone who is discouraged. That you know someone who's ready to give up. That you know someone that it may seem their life is falling apart. And so what we're gonna do this morning is very different. I want everybody to take out your phone. And don't say, well, I don't have mine. Liar. (laughs) You got your phone. And what I want you to do this morning is whomever that person is that God just laid on your heart, whoever God just placed on your heart that is discouraged, that may feel alone. Look, they may be in a hospital room right now all by themselves because we can't get in to see them. What I want you to do is I want you to look their name up and I just simply want you to say, I love you, God loves you. I love you, God loves you. And you send that message to whomever it is God places on your heart. The beauty in that is even right now in this moment, this is us being the church outside these four walls. And after the first service, I had person after person coming up to me and saying, look what they just responded. This was perfect timing. I needed this today. But you see, God's not a God of accident. If he lays somebody on your heart this morning, it's because they are in need of what you got to tell them. And that is how the power of the Holy Spirit works. And so as we reach out to them this morning and tell them that we love them and that God loves them, let's look specifically at what God speaks to Zerubbabel in the rest of this chapter. Go back to verse 21. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms, destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations, and I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. If you notice in that, in that reading, three times we see the word pronoun I. We see the word I. Now you think, well, what is God speaking to Zerubbabel? Why does he want him to, what is he wanting him to know? Why is he addressing just this one man? The whole time he's been addressing the multitudes, but in the very last part of this book, why is he talking to just one individual? There's two things that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants Zerubbabel to know. Number one, he wants him to know that the all-powerful sovereign God will prevail. 
He wants him to know that he will prevail, that he will win. And he wants Zerubbabel to know that his control is not based off of man's actions. While they're living in disobedience, while they are are turning their back and they're doing things for selfish motives, what we have to understand is that God is still just as much in control then as he was the day he spoke the world into creation. It is not that as if God is sitting up on his throne, reaching for the reins of control, trying to get this thing back under control. No, I don't understand it all. No, I don't like it all. But what I do know is that my God is still on the throne and he still has authority over it all. But the problem is we as the church, we as the believers have forgotten that. We have to be reminded that God tells Zerubbabel that he will shake, that he will overthrow, and that he will destroy. The God that we serve is a powerful God. And this is what we read in Isaiah 46. You don't have to turn there. This is what he's speaking to in verses eight through 11. He says, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose might be established. Nope, will be established. And I will accomplish all of my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Listen to this. Truly I have spoken and truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. There's nothing that man can do that can stop our God. Nothing. And we have to cling to that promise. But then we read the next thing and how humbling this has to be. Because here again, in the very beginning of that verse, God is talking about all that he will do to the world. Talking about all that he will do to the multitudes. But listen how personable the God we serve is. Look at verse 23. And on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Three more times we hear the pronoun I. Three more times we hear what God is going to do. Three more times we hear who is in control. And what what he's wanting Zerubbabel to know here is he's saying, look, you are not defined by your current failures and you are not defined by your past failures. You are defined by the great I am. 
And there is somebody here today that you need to be reminded of that. Your past doesn't define you. Your present doesn't define you. The family that you came from doesn't define you, but the great I am is the one who defines you. And there's hope in that. There's life in that. But you know, he says that I'm gonna make you like a signet ring. Well, what's a signet ring? Here's what a signet ring is. It's an instrument that a king would use to sign or seal an official document. It's a guarantee that what has been written will come to pass. And so God, the creator of the universe, meets Zerubbabel in his discouragement and said, I will make you as a signet ring. And what he's saying there is I'm going to use you to accomplish my finished work. God, you're gonna use me in spite of my background. God, you're gonna use me in spite of my failures. Yes, because I am God. That I am the God of redemption I am the God of salvation. But you see, in this particular context of what he's writing about, is he's wanting Zerubbabel to understand that you're gonna play a part in the coming Messiah. You're gonna play a part in the coming of Jesus Christ, the one who is gonna come and be offered a perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world, and you're gonna be a part of that. Because what's interesting is Zerubbabel disappears after Haggai chapter two. We don't hear anything else about him really. But then in Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter three, there's a section in both of those gospels that every one of you have skimmed right over, myself included. You're thinking, I don't skip over any of it. You liar, because it's that big old list of names. You see what he's unpacking in both of those gospels is the family tree, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The writer is letting us know how the coming Messiah arrived. And remember going back when Zerubbabel was discouraged, when he was down in the dumps, God said, I'm going to use you as a signet ring. I'm going to let you play a role in the coming of the Messiah. I'm going to let you be a part of my finished work. And in Matthew chapter one, we see that. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it to you right quick. In Matthew chapter one, it says, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shiltiel and Shiltiel the father of Zerubbabel. So there he is. He played a role in the coming. This is him in the family tree, if you would. And so then we see it again in Luke chapter three. In Luke chapter three, we read it again. It says, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel. God used a man of failure to fulfill his purpose, to fulfill his promise. And that gives us hope this morning. That gives us breath this morning that 
God using us is not based off how good we are. God using us is not based off of when we get it all together, but God uses us when he meets us right where we're at and he says, I'm gonna make you, I'm going to take you because I have chosen you. That's God's job. When the Holy Spirit draws you to himself, are you going to surrender? Are you going to give it all to him? In the first service, we were able to see three baptisms. One of which a man named Blake shared his testimony from the water. You know where God met him? In a prison cell. Probably pretty lonely. Probably in a dark place. But this young man stood before his church family this morning and declared his thankful heart that God met him right where he at. He heard God say, I love you, my child. And I sent my son to die for you. When you couldn't be good enough, I sent my son so he could do it for you. And we got to celebrate that this morning with him. So two times we see that a man of failure was mentioned in the coming of the Messiah. We see that a man named Zerubbabel was not defined by his failures. He wasn't defined by his family's failures, but he was defined by the great I am. And God reminded him, he said, look, I'll bring victory not by your work, but by my work through you. And we know that that led to the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of the Savior, the one who would be sent to be offered up the perfect living sacrifice. And he would come and he would live that perfect life. Because you see all through the Old Testament, we know that the priest would have to present the spotless lamb or the animal without blemish so that it could be slaughtered on behalf of the sins of the people of Israel. But God in his love and his mercy, he says, you know what? I'm gonna send the perfect sacrifice. I'm going to send the perfect lamb of God and he will be without blemish. And because of his perfection, it will lead to his death. But we know that death led to the resurrection and the resurrection sealed the promise. The resurrection sealed the promise. But the question is, have you trusted in that promise? Are you continuing to battle to try to be good enough to make God love you? Because all God wants you to hear this morning is that he loved you enough that he sent his son 
to do it for you. Look, I love all of you. I try to tell you that every single week, but I am not giving my children to die for you. That is a love that makes no sense to me. And I know some of you are probably, well, that's awful selfish. Well, get over it. You wouldn't do it either. But God, in his grace and his mercy and his love, he willingly, you understand that he sent his son not hoping that things would go okay. He sent his son knowing he would die. He sent his son to be murdered for you. He sent his son so that you could have life everlasting while his son lost his life. I don't know about you, but that's something worth surrendering to. That is something worth surrendering to. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.